This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to Draft Deeper on the No Ceilings NBA podcast feed. Joining me this week is my co-host Stephen Gillespie. Maxwell is not joining us tonight. He has some family obligations to attend to around the holidays. It is that time of the year. It is Thanksgiving week for anybody that celebrates the holiday. But really in the college basketball landscape, we call it feast week, Stephen. Mm. There is so much action going on, some, some major events. We're talking about the Maui Jim Maui Invitational, the Battle for Atlantis. They have the Phil, Phil Knight Legacy events going on out on the West Coast. So there is a ton happening in the college basketball landscape, which means we as scouts are going to be busy through this entire holiday week. I, for one, I've already apologized to the family, to my fiance. <laughs> I will have my Thanksgiving meal prepared on a plate in front of TV, watching as much college hoops as I can over the course of the Thursday holiday Black Friday is a little bit different of a story. My day job, we, we work in the retail industry, so I do not get that day off. I will have to have one eye on my work and another eye on the TV watching all of this action, but I'm excited. We're, we're in the thick of it, Stephen. We had the Champions Classic happen last Tuesday, which we're going to get into some of that on this podcast. We have all those events and more coming up during Feast Week. I'm ready. I'm pumped. But how are you, Stephen? How are you doing tonight? Man, I am awesome. I am podcasting with you tonight, so you can't get much better than that, Nathan. You know, I'm <laughs> oh. I'm very thankful that I'm on a podcast with you, with Maxwell, with producer extraordinaire Kevin Black. I am thrilled to be a part of the No Ceilings Collective. I'm blessed that Twitter is still alive and well. Twitter despite... is still alive. Can you believe that? <laughs> it's amazing. Thank... <laughs> I am super thankful for that. Um, every day is a is a bonus for that. But in all seriousness, Nathan, you're absolutely right. College basketball is back with a vengeance. Imagine being someone who actively just doesn't like watching college basketball. Couldn't be me, man. I'm so thankful for college hoops. I'm so thankful for NBA, for international play, for OTE, for the G League. I'm excited for basketball, man. There's just a ton to dig into and obviously we we can't cover everything on this podcast we certainly try and the, the point of draft deeper going forward is to really connect what i'm writing about on a weekly basis what you're writing about on a weekly basis and what maxwell when he's back with us is writing about on a weekly basis because yep. we try and cover as much of what happened in the week prior for no ceilings to really set us up for some of what we can expect to come so it makes sense why we're on draft deeper together what the whole point of these podcasts are. So without further ado, let, let's recap what happened. Let, let's hit on some of the major things let's that go. happened last week. And we can't, can't do that without talking about the Champions Classic. So some of what we're mm -hmm. going to do, if you are a follower of No Ceilings, 
you know that we were on the playback streams last week. We watched those games live. Thank you to everyone who joined those audiences to hang out with us. We, we love scouting and doing those shows with you. If you were on the Kentucky-Michigan State game, you heard a lot of our thoughts as the game was going. I was on with Maxwell, with Paige, with Corey. We talked a lot about Case and Wallace, who we will actually – I want to get some of Steven's thoughts about him a little bit later on in the show. Sure. But we gave thoughts on Case and Wallace, the Michigan State players, the other Kentucky guys. So that's not where I want to start. I want to start with where I haven't been able to give too many thoughts outside of this podcast and the home and away show that you'll hear on this feed tomorrow where I hosted Keandre from Hoop Intellect, his YouTube channel, over 40,000 subscribers. Go check him out and check that show out tomorrow to, to hear a little, hear a few more of my thoughts. But that's why I want to start with Kansas Duke. Haven't talked about the game a ton. Let's start with Kansas, Steven. Kansas obviously won the game. They were the better team. I think they're going to be the better team throughout the year. They're one of, if not the deepest team in college yeah. basketball. When we talk about prospects, when we talk about experienced college veterans who could help you win a basketball game, they are loaded, right? They seem like they have a backup across every single position on the roster. And they are my go-to. I'm having a bad day. I want to have some fun watching a college <laughs> basketball game to help get caught up on my film scouting. Who am I going to flip on? Kansas might be one of those first teams that I'm looking to flip on and watch. So for a multitude of reasons, I wanted to start here, but I won't go into who impressed me off of Kansas the most, Stephen. I want to pivot and, and turn that question to you. Which oh. Kansas player stood out to you the most? Yeah, and I want to start with this guy who Nathan on my board coming into the year just don't want to like him, you know, and if everyone's already heard about him and there's a lot of name jokes that we can throw out there and I'm going to avoid that. I'm going to try to be a good boy here on the show, but Grady Dick really impressed me, man. Oh yeah. Like he was, he was super good. And I came into the season, Nathan, with this thought process of, and eh, he's really going to be limited on the offensive end. He's going to have a perimeter oriented game. He's going to be a catch and shoot guy. Defensively, he's going to get eaten alive. And he's not really going to crash the glass. Like he might get played off the court. Like does he start all year long? I had all these preconceived thoughts in my head, considering how deep this Kansas team is that you were just elaborating on. Boy, I couldn't have been more surprised than how he performed. You know, he was, he did shoot. But what's crazy is Nathan, as a shooter, he only went one of four from deep. And everyone's talking about, even this week, they were like, oh, how great of a shooter he is. Only was one of four. Yeah. But his shot was timely. The three-pointer was very timely. But what impressed me was on in the transition game, like how he was able to contort his body and finish in traffic, how he was able to, you know, sell a KG up fake, only going one of four. The defense still respected him, going on an up fake, maneuvering around a defender and pulling up for him in mid-range, moving the ball within the flow of the offense. And then defensively, Nathan, we, we heard about him get dissected all week long about his defense. And if you only went off of other people's commentary, you would think, that this guy was the worst defender in all of college hoops. But go watch the second he, half of the game. Anybody out there like that's <laughs> that's really what Steven would want to talk about where he yeah. he had stretches. It seemed like he was taking on a new Duke matchup every trip down the floor for, for a certain few minutes stretch in that second half. And he was holding his own on, on a number of not just players who are close to his size at six foot eight. But he was taking turns on a lot of Duke's guards, right? And Duke has some good guards for, for different reasons. Tyrese Proctor's a threat. Jeremy Roach is their best scorer. Yep. Like, that's really what hit home to, to me, as I'm sure it did for you as well, was Grady Dick 
the amount of cover and the amount of different players he could match up with and cover that much ground with. Yeah, that that stood out to me at least second half more than the first half. And yeah, like you would have thought you were watching, you you would think just based off of listening that you were listening to people talk about, you know, Lou Will and the playoffs getting hunted on every pick and roll possible. Like that couldn't have been further from the truth. I was surprised going back and rewatching the game. Like for a freshman, for someone who's not the strongest guy on the court, he was still able to do some stuff defensively. He wasn't just barbecue chicken alert, as she, you know Shaquille O'Neal would like to say on that end. But overall, yep. Nathan, like we'll give him, you know, through the wire. Shout out to all those guys that through the wire who've been extremely supportive of of no ceilings. Like they like to say, it's kind of like a code for when you say he plays the game the right way that you're talking about, you know, a Caucasian basketball player. <laughs> you you would you would still throw that moniker out there for for our guy Grady Dick. But he was fiery. Like, he let him know he was super into the game, and he looked a lot stronger in college than what it looked like he was going to be based off of the high school film that I watched coming into the season, Nathan. I came in thinking that he was going to be, like, an early second-round pick. I don't know if I'm really ready to rise him up the ranks yet, but I at least have to start considering it more now. No, admittedly, I should have – taken his high school film I, I i think a little more seriously and for everyone out there listening when, when i'm when i'm doing some preseason film dives in, in the summer i'm watching like one or two games of these guys i'm not going terribly hard because that offseason yeah. is really time for me to prepare and get my mind right for another grind of, of a draft cycle that's coming up so i i, I take that time very seriously yeah. to, to be a human that that's exactly right steve <laughs> that's the best possible way to put it to be a human outside of basketball but I was like you. I wasn't incredibly high on him coming in this year either. Not that I didn't think he could be a first-round pick, but I wasn't like selling my soul and and, and banging my fist on the table <laughs> like this guy better go in the first round, right? Yeah. Well, then you watch some of these early games and you're coming away with a completely different impression. And I think if you heard anybody talk about Grady Dick before the college basketball season started, right? It, it's we're we're trying to throw out these these general takes about these prospects. And it's more so along the lines of, yeah, he's 6'8", he can shoot. Not a lot of people were talking about the other parts of his game, though, that you just outlined. The the at-rim finishing in particular really stood out to me. Some of the comparisons that came across were to that of like a Caleb Houston, which is part of what I wrote about in the morning dunk that I'm going to come out with same time you're listening to this podcast, most likely. Yeah. And the whole thing about that is, no, it's it. I don't think anybody would throw that out as like a direct comparison, but in terms of situationally, these six foot eight shooters, I don't know how much more we're expecting from these guys at the college level. What else are they going to be able to show? Flip on the film, and boy, they are completely different players, right? Like Grady Dick is a much better athlete, in my opinion, a creator and an at rim finisher, right? Like with, with Caleb Houston, when we took a look at his offensive game last year, sure, he can shoot off of movement. He can hit those open catch-and-shoot corner threes. He can hit some open threes on the wing. But outside of that, right, like, number one, he had trouble getting around his man at the top to actually get into the second level of defense. Number two, when he got to the second level of the defense, I wasn't as confident in his pull-up game. I didn't love his floater game. His live dribble passing, I I wasn't as sold on his decision-making after the first three to four games of the year than I was in those first few games. And then when he got to the rim, Steven, he couldn't do anything with it. Like that's all of these ingredients are why 
evaluators came in and when they wanted to have a lottery grade on, they're like, well, he's not just a shooter, put him in the pick and roll, go back and watch some of his FIBA highlights as to where he was being a decision maker for that team. I promise he can do more of these things. Well, he didn't in Michigan. And that's really what tanked his draft stock in. Granted, he's played a role off the bench for the Orlando Magic. Like he's come in, he's been an NBA player as a second round pick, but he hasn't lived up to the same hype that he got. Grady Dick, on the other hand, he can be a top 20 pick in this NBA draft. As to what we've seen through these first few games, the last I saw looking at his stats, I believe he was a 57%, 40%, and then a good percentage from the free throw line as well. Like the, These are different numbers, Stephen. Like th- this is legitimate, legitimate offensive stuff. You touched on the, the at-rim game. I loved what I saw from him. 14 points, 6 for 11 shooting. He only shot, as you mentioned, the 104 from three, but all those other looks he got, the reverse finishes at the basket, the, the verticality, him being able to space vertically, being a lob third along the baseline and some of those cuts, that was really good to see. His strength, being able to put down those buckets near, near the rim, that was awesome, awesome, awesome to see that he's not just a shooter, but then, oh, by the way, if you want to use him in that way, he can be a flamethrower. He can get it going from the perimeter. So there's more to his offensive game than I initially thought was going to be there over the first few contests in his freshman season. But nevertheless, he stood out to you. He certainly stood out to me as well. Keandre and I talk about him, actually, on the episode of Home and Away that everybody's going to hear on this podcast feed tomorrow. My question for you, Stephen, is he comes in. If he's a top 30 guy, great. If he's not a top 30 guy, that was kind of to be expected from some of the preseason critiques that were being thrown around, right? Now he's having some of these games. Mm-hmm. Now he's pretty much getting himself in a first-round conversation. Could be starting to creep towards the top 20 conversation. Does How high do you think Grady Dick actually has a chance of going in the 2023 NBA draft if he keeps up more of what we've seen from him so far? I don't think it would be crazy to think like upwards to tail end of the lottery, like if he keeps it up. And again, this is coming from somebody who didn't want to like him coming into the year. I would say anywhere from like that 14 to 25 range is pretty safe. And I hate giving out like vague windows, but it's super early into the year. And we still have a lot more to look forward to for the rest of the season. But as our colleague Maxwell, you know, Baumbach has put out that no one has really stunk so far this year. Yeah. You know, like a lot of people. Or if they have, they've shown us signs in other games where we think they're actually going to turn it around. Yeah. and, And even giving those signs, it's like, okay, like, He's not lived up to an expectation, but he's going to get better, right? Like no one has like completely just like dut- like dudded at all this year, which is crazy to me. And again, like Grady Dick really kind of re has has me like reevaluating my board already this early in the season, and that might be super knee jerky, but I had a preconceived notion. He's answered a lot of the questions. Like it's okay. Like if we're lawyers, Nathan, we're allowed to re like we <laughs> can ask our, questions, our right? Like- Yeah, we could change our approach based on new evidence coming forward, right? Like you have to, or you're going to lose your case. And that's where I'm at with Grady Dick. Like he's, he's answering questions already in the early season. Like I'm, I'm certainly not saying that he will be that high, but I don't think it's out of the question either. You, you and I, we're trying to compartmentalize our our different areas on our prospect boards, right? Like we're trying to move guys around in the different buckets. We're not necessarily saying one guy's going to all of a sudden jump up 10 spots after one game. That would be, too much of a knee-jerk reaction. We don't, we don't do that at draft keeper. At least at draft no. keeper, along with the no sellings guys, 
we're trying to update our boards like once a month and we're not trying to put too much stock into one game. We want to consider the entire sample size, but even though it's a small one, the entire sample size is telling me Grady Dick needs to be in a top 25 conversation when we start to compare him to what some of these other prospects have done early on. Yeah. Exactly. So speaking of a guy who hasn't been a dud, the guy on Kansas who really has impressed me early on, not just in this game against Duke, but really what he's been doing over the course of this short portion of the season is Jalen Wilson. Jalen Wilson, mm-hmm. the six foot eight, technically junior forward. We we had this discussion yeah. in our notes in the group chat. Are these guys juniors? Are they seniors? Where where is this year of eligibility? Knows. This COVID year coming from? I don't know. <laughs> I call him a senior, I think, in my preseason guide because this is technically his fourth year at Kansas. If he has that extra year of eligibility, fine. I'll take the 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 knock on the chin. That's a technicality by me. I promise I'll do better as draft keeper. <laughs> but Jalen Wilson, we looked at him before the year. Maxwell talked about him extensively on this podcast. So really this is a shout out to Maxwell. Shout out Maxwell shout for, out. for, shout for out, giving us this fun evaluation to work with. But he watched a lot of the NBA draft combine tape and he came away like why are we not talking about him? He's like a top 45 <laughs> prospect. Like why have we kind of just pushed Jalen Wilson to the side? Like he can't possibly climb up a board similar, at least to what Ochai Abaji did last year at Kansas, the same school, by the way. Yeah. And Jalen Wilson comes out against Duke, a, a good Duke team, by the way. Like yes. They, they're young, but they're good. And he had 25 points, 11 rebounds, five assists showing a variety of skills on the offensive side of the ball. What stood out to me, Steven, even though he went 0 of 7 from three-point range, he yeah. did not let that stop him in terms of being assertive on the offensive end. He still hunted for his shots, getting downhill towards the basket at times, but really he was loving that pull-up jump shot where they would bring him off certain motion. He would catch it around the foul line, take two dribbles, uh, turn, square up, rise and fire, Easy money, easy day to coin your phrase, as you would say. Those yep. were the types of shots that he was getting in the mid-range. And I just loved his approach to hunting better looks within the flow of the offense. And then when his shot wasn't there, Steven, the live dribble passing has really taken a jump. And it's it's something that you and I can talk about. I know that you're probably going to make a comment on it about this role that Jalen Wilson's playing for the Kansas Jayhawks, right? Like he is serving as the engine, their offensive fulcrum right now. Everything is running through Jalen Wilson. All these looks that Grady Dick is getting, all these looks that some of these other big at-room play finishers are getting, they are generated based off all the attention that Jalen Wilson is drawing in because he's a three-point guy, because it's a line drive threat, because now he's a guy when he draws that gravity and he's pulling defenders towards him, he's now getting rid of that ball and making quick decisions and making these live dribble passes that we've wanted to see from him for a number of years. He may not have that same kind of role in the NBA, but what NBA teams do want to see, even though they might be putting them out for a low volume uh, role, right? They might not be playing them for as many minutes. They might not have the same responsibility. They want to see if they can make quick decisions. When you catch the ball, are you immediately going up with a shot? If you're driving, are you looking to, finish at the rim or do you also have eyes around what some of these other defenders are doing where if somebody helps and closes out at you and tries to deny you that same drive to the basket are you able to hot potato that ball away and pass it and get it to where it needs to go are you able to do these things at the speed at which the nba game requires you to do them with Jalen wilson so far that answer is yes this guy has been terrific at making decisions to help not only himself be better but also his teammates And I think that 
more than anything, was the type of jump that we wanted to see from him. What has Jalen Wilson done for you so far, Steven? Yeah, and I think, Nathan, what sometimes I have to remind myself of as an NBA talent evaluator and scout is, like, I can't just evaluate what I'm seeing on the court right now relative to who he's playing with and against, right? Like, you have to kind of project him into these modern NBA systems. And if I'm an NBA team and I'm looking at a guy who's listed at 6'8", I feel like he's probably closer to like 6'9", 6'10", but that's just semantics or whatever. <laughs> sure. I'm I'm looking at a guy who, if you can, you can even see it in this Duke game, switchable defensively. Like at that height, that's a, that's a must and it's a premium. He's improved as a three-point shooter. That's a must, that's a premium. If he gets chased off the line, can he take a couple of dribbles and hit a pull-up jump shot or make a live dribble pass? Yes, that's a must and that's a premium. So I'm looking at all of these things. He's very strong. He competes on the glass. He's a very instinctual player. He has high feel mixed with athleticism. Checks so many boxes, man. So like NBA teams are looking at a player like like Jalen Wilson and, and wanting to plug them into their systems. He's highly switchable. He's a connector. And for stretches, he can probably even have a couple plays run through him too. And he's showing it at Kansas, that there are different areas on the spot where he can be an X factor as a facilitator. So all of those things combined together, it's just hard to look at him and think just like how Maxwell said, like, why are we not talking about him? You know, he and yeah. Marcus Sasser were two of the best players out of that combine returning. We're more than happy to thrust Marcus Sasser up into that conversation, rightfully so. But Maxwell's right, man. Like, why did we forget about Jalen Wilson? He's showing us why we were fools for doing that already early this year. And I understand that 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 was a good matchup for Jalen Wilson against Duke, right? Like they they yeah. don't have a player who they can really throw at him and say go contain him, right? Like Jalen Wilson was probably going to get a number of different looks because of the personnel as it was, but every look that he got, he found a way to be efficient. And it's not just that matchup. Nineteen points in in their first game against Omaha, twenty one yep. against North Dakota State, twenty five against Duke, Southern Utah. He went for. 33 points in their most recent game, 20, 12 of 22 from the field. Stephen, what's he going to yep. do next? So it was two points, four points, eight points. You see the little math trend I'm building here? Are we, is he going to go up like Just a 16-point jump, going to get to 49 points in his next game? I mean, this is this is absurd what he's been doing so far and commanding that much attention. That's really why I've been so impressed with Jalen Wilson. And if he continues to score at this rate, as well as act as the fulcrum of the offense, I would not be surprised to hear his name called in the first round of the 2023 NBA draft. And that's really why we look at these early games and sometimes they may be overreactions where we need a larger sample size. But when you actually rip apart the context and you just break down the film as it is and you look at how is Jalen Wilson doing these things, why is he making these decisions, it's it's all it's much more nuanced than we expected, man. And and that's yep. that's the difference. And that's why I think regardless of his age, regardless of some of the matchups he's had so far, I think we can take this small sample size as real. And I would expect this to be a trend as the year goes on. And if it is, Steven, is, is he gonna be somebody who does end up crashing the party in the first round on your board? Because I think NBA teams are looking at him right now, given that he checks every box that an NBA team wants from big wing. I don't see how he would fall out of the first round if he keeps us up. It's going to be hard too, and I know that we can always fall in love. It reminds me of the article that I wrote earlier in the in our cycle. You know, shiny new toy, and you got to look at like NBA teams. Like 
only roughly 14 prospects get drafted as freshmen in the NBA draft. And it's really hard early on in the season, especially in this class where all the freshmen seemingly are, are doing everything that they're supposed to be doing. And then we got the G League and OTE, what have you. But all these young players are playing so hard. But even still, like I think in recent history over the last five or six drafts, like I think 16 freshmen were drafted. That leaves, what, 14 more players? It's not hard to imagine that Jalen Wilson won't be one of those 14 guys, especially if what we're seeing right now continues throughout the year. And again, looking at NBA role, not just what we're seeing contextually in college, but what NBA teams need and want and love. He checks so many of those boxes, man. Like I don't have him as a first round guy yet, but it's going to be hard to keep him out, man. If, if things keep, keep going per status quo right now. And, and that's, yeah, that's exactly what it's about. We're talking about projecting as to who are the names we think will be called in the first round. That's more so what we're looking at. There, there are guys who are projected to go in the first round who we would agree, yeah, he's probably going to hear his name called. That doesn't mean we have him as first-round grades on our boards, and that doesn't yeah. mean that they have to be first-round grades on our boards. But there's also just a level of projection to where this guy has experience, right? He's not coming in as one of these freshmen who certainly needs to continue to develop to just get to a certain rookie baseline to play minutes in the NBA right away. This guy knows his role. He knows what he does well. He's been coached well. So it's if he's coming and showing up ready to play, he's got his head on right. He has some real talent and some real potential. And that's why that conversation is going to start trending in that direction. If it hasn't already. So yeah, let, let's keep the conversations going positive, moving in that very similar trajectory. We got to talk about Duke. We got to flip it over. We got to talk about some of their guys because as we can talk about Kansas, Stephen, them being one of the deepest teams we have in college basketball, Duke has quite the plethora of prospects that we could talk about as well, right? Like you have yeah. a number of freshmen, which is really the, the mean potatoes of what we want to talk about on an NBA draft show. As you said, the shiny new toys, who are they? What have they done for me now? What are they going to do for me later? What have they done for me lately as far as when we get to June? Who are the freshmen that we can evaluate? Duke's in an interesting spot. Dariq Whitehead just came back. He did not play in the Champions Classic, so he didn't get to go up against Kansas. Derek Lively was coming off of an injury. We didn't see the best of him in that Champions Classic game. So it's been about Tyrese Proctor. It's been about Mark Mitchell. And it's been about one more guy yep. who you really want to talk about in this segment. So which Duke prospects stood out to you the most in that game? Yeah, and before I get to my guy, I want to put out a, a Derek Lively disclaimer. Like, so many people are already jumping overboard on on this kid. And, you know, the fact that his debut, like, essentially his debut to the year is up against, like, this super deep and well-coached Kansas team. Like, that's not the same as, you know, whoever the F State, as uh, Corey and Albert like to say on their show. You know, it's it's not the same type of debut, not the same type of confidence builder. So, Let's get, a, you know, 10, 15 games in for, for a guy, Derek Lively. But, man, Nathan, Kyle Filipowski was another guy that I wanted to not like. I wanted to pick him apart. I didn't think that his game was going to translate well to college ranks. I didn't think that playing alongside another big was going was gonna to help him. Boy, was I wrong. Like, the way that this guy moves, the way that he makes decisions, I think that 
we talk about Azula Stabellis a lot, and I love Tabellis. I think that he could so potentially be a first. He could be a first round guy. Like he's that talented. You can see an NBA role for a player like him, who has that level of size, strength, and feel to his game. Nathan Kyle Filipowski is essentially like the same. Is type he a of younger Azula Stabellis? Yeah, he's there's there's already an Azula Stabellis 2.0, and he hasn't even got a shot at the NBA yet, which is crazy. And he might move a little better too. Probably not as strong yet, but he's younger, considerably younger. He projects to be a much better shooter though. And I think that's the important point that you're probably going to open up. Exactly, right? Like when I watched him play against Kansas and I saw him take guys off of the bounce at his size, at first I was like, no, we can't be doing this. And then I'm like, okay, he's showing that that's a part of his offensive game. He has the, the ability, he's got shot potential. I don't think that it's great yet but he's got the potential to be a really good stretch big. You know, his playmaking chops are there. Even off of the bounce, like we talk about Azulis Tabellis, like being able to operate in the DHO when out of the block, whenever he gets double team, making the right reads. Filipowski, I feel like, can do that, but he can also put the ball on the deck, Nathan, and make sound decisions as well. Projecting out, like he's a freshman, he's feeling himself, he's got some things to figure out, but against a really good team like that, for him to be creative and confident in his ability, and a lot of the time it convert and succeed, that's very promising for his development. I'm going to have a hard time keeping this guy out of my first round, too. I feel like I got 100 first-round prospects, Nathan. 15 points, 11 rebounds, shooting 42% from the field, which I'll get to in a second, 29.4% from three-point range. I'll also touch on that. 27.5 PER. So a few things jump out to me, Stephen. Number one, you mentioned the passing. We can obviously yeah. quick mention that. Yeah, his passing, whether it's off a live dribble or – when he gets double teamed in the post, all of those passes haven't necessarily led to assists, but I do like that he's at least gotten the ball out and recognized, hey, there are some opportunities where I could probably give it up, get it to somebody else, maybe they can make a play. I do like yeah. that aspect of his game, and it's it's the touch on those passes, right? He's not really throwing errant balls uh, away, right? Like you, you see some guys, you see some big men try and get creative with their passing, but they just don't have the same touch as a guard to where they're throwing it over somebody's head or they're throwing it underneath or they're, they're throwing it in yep. the opposite direction. Those, those things happen. You don't see that with Filipowski. So that's number one. Number two, the rebounding has been awesome, right? Yep. Like he, the, the rebounding, he's only one game out of four so far. He's been under double digit rebounds. He had 12 rebounds in the first game, then 10, then 14 against Kansas. I have loved to see that too. Number three, which would be the negative for me, it comes back to that field goal percentage. And in that Kansas game in particular, it seemed like he put up good numbers from a counting perspective, but from an efficiency standpoint, six of 18 from the field, that worries me. 48.5% on two-point shots so far in the year, that worries me. He's taking a good number of threes. He's only had one game where he hasn't taken at least five threes. He's only at 29%. That worries me. Is he one of these high volume, low efficiency scorers at the college level? And if that's the case at the college level, what's that going to look like in the NBA? Now, the silver lining for that is he's gotten to the line 15 times so far this year. He's made 13 of those free throws, 87% from the line. That's pretty good. That's phenomenal for a seven yeah. footer. I don't care who you are. That's phenomenal. So, seven foot, 230 pounds. He moves better than you'd expect. There is yep. some touch there to where we think he's going to be able to shoot it. The passing ability, the rebounding, the the, the defense is a little concerning. And then yeah. that 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 two point finishing ability. Should should I hold enough stock into some of these concerns to where 
he kind of stays a little bit lower on my board or should I take a more holistic view to where he's a freshman Nate he is doing a number of things we didn't expect him to get on the bandwagon get going with him a little bit maybe start to think about moving him up your board where 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 would you tell me to go in that line of thinking I would tell you don't have your mind made up yet. And I know, Nathan, I know you, right? Like I know that you're putting that question out there so we can so we can pull the pull the yarn a little bit and engage with the audience. But knowing you, Nathan, I know that you're not boxed off on your thought process and where you have this guy yet. But for any listeners out there who might be like, yeah, I would definitely agree that the that the efficiency slightly concerning, defense slightly concerning. But here's the thing, Nathan. Like if you go back and watch the high school film. Not a lot of film with him operating alongside of another big man, right? And we kind of have to expect that in the college ranks. Like a lot of teams have multiple bigs that they incorporate into their system. But if we're looking again at these NBA level projections, like I don't look at Filipowski as a four unless he goes to like one of these unorthodox teams that we're starting to see make a comeback, like a Cleveland, like an Orlando you know, some of these teams that are incorporating a two-man system. I also I also don't see him going into an NBA role where he's going to be taking 18 shots a game either. So Cor- Correct. Not at, le- at least not as a freshman. <laughs> I, I mean, we'll, we'll see. Like, I didn't think that Christian Coloco was going to look this good in the early going, but boy, have I been pleasantly surprised. But even still, he's not getting 18 shots a game. But anyway, um, Filipowski, I think that the efficiency will get there. I think that he's still growing and learning and seeing what he can and can't get away with. And I love that Coach Sharman out, out of Duke is, is doing a good job of letting his guys build confidence in, in game situations, not just in practice. And I think that as he starts seeing things differently with the stepped up level and competition, that will help him establish, you know, where he wants to go with the ball offensively and where the ball is going to end up going defensively. Like conversely, I think that he's going to figure things out. Just give it time. You know, but the things that we are seeing right now is very encouraging stuff that I didn't think that he was even going to be able to do. He's already displaying already this early in the college ranks. All right. My guy on Duke, this is this is a quick conversation because there's yeah. not too many positive examples, at least from the, the, the Kansas game that we can pull from. Right. If I'm making a highlight tape on Tyrese Proctor, which there will be a video of his offensive performance in my morning dunk column when I talk about him. It's a short, short package, right? Very, very short package. But what we did see was we started to see more offensive assertiveness from one Tyrese Proctor when it came to scoring and particularly shooting the basketball from the mid range. That second half, Stephen, where he came out, he started to hit some of those shots in good fashion. He was aggressive in hunting for those looks about the free throw line area. Boy, did I love to see that from Tyrese Proctor. Yes, he only had nine points. Yes, he was only three of nine from the floor. But you just saw him all of a sudden it's like a light bulb went off in his head in that second half. And you kind of, you got to look at how he was looking for those shots. And when he made them the look in his eyes, when the camera would pan to him and he just, he looked like a different player as compared to the guy that we've seen so far to start the year. Right. So Duke's first game against Jacksonville, Oh, of eight from the field, second game against USC upstate one of four from the field. Steven, these are not good teams. These are not Kansas level teams to where, you would think Tyrese Proctor, he should he's struggling. Like, like what's going on there? One of 12 from the floor. Three of nine from the field against Kansas, like I said. Then he goes out against Delaware in their most recent game on the 18th. Five of 10 from the field, 13 points, 10 rebounds, four assists. Now he's starting to look more like the Tyrese Proctor that we think he can be as a point guard prospect. 
And that's why Proctor stood out to me in that game. Yeah, it was just a little thing that I picked up on. It wasn't a, a, a more dominant performance in certain regards, like a Kyle Filipowski or a Jalen Wilson or a Grady Dick. But it did stand out to me as maybe this is one of those moments that Proctor looks back on where he really started to get it going at this level. And if he keeps up with the scoring ability that we think is in there, I think he yeah. could be a finisher at the basket at 6'5". I think he's got some floater touch, some pull-up touch. The three-point shot, we, that that's the biggest question mark that I think I have with his offensive game. We'll see. But yeah. how inventive of a passer he can be, the court vision he displays at 6'5", I think he can be a much better defensive guard at the point of attack than what he's shown to start this year. You start to piece some of these things together, and he not he not only looks like a guard who could go in the first round, but he looks like somebody who might be able to challenge in that top 20 range, depending on what team's drafting and if they need another point guard to come in, be it they're looking for a long-term starter, if they just need some depth at the position, we'll see whatever the case may be. But this could be where we look back and say Proctor started to get his mojo in the college ranks. Is there anything that you want to say about Proctor? Well, I'll just touch on it, Nathan. In my notes, I wrote that he was a ghost in the first half. And sometimes when we go back and look at these guys, right, like Kennedy Chandler kind of came on sneakily later on in the second half of the season last year. And a lot of people were like, oh, he just suddenly improved. Sometimes it comes down to like, and, and as an athlete and as a competitor, as a basketball player, a lot of a lot of what you do and a lot of your success is based off of confidence. And Nathan, it was like when he hit that three-point shot against Kentucky in the second half, it was like you just saw a completely different player on the court. And I wouldn't be surprised that by the time, you know, towards the end of the year, we look back and we're like, wow, Tyrese Proctor, you know, he was a different guy in the first part of the season compared to where he is now. Where did it go? We could probably put a pin in that three-point shot and say, this is where this young man it, you know, he he regained his confidence. And this is where he started to to have some of those mid-range pull-ups, to have the gumption to be able to hit a pull-up three, to be able to de demonstrate some very creative passing and playmaking. That defense really needs to get there. But he's he's defending at a position in college that I don't think he's going to be asked to defend whenever he makes the, the, the jump to the NBA. He's not going to be going up against some of these wings and things like that. He's going to be kind of a point of attack guy. And unfortunately, with Roach there taking some of those minutes, we probably won't see as much as that as we would like to. But that's just something to keep in mind. But I, I think ultimately, he got his confidence back in the second half. It wasn't a, a game of ages or anything like that for him, but it was definitely sure. promising to see some of the things that he was able, that we thought he would be able to do, start to come to fruition in the second half of that game. I just like to look for those moments where we, we can we can come back to it and we can just be happy for a prospect who has been struggling, yep. but maybe that's where he gets it back on track. And we can move past the, the Champions Classic, unless you do have some thoughts, Stephen, that you want to get out in the open about Case and Wallace. I'm going to be sharing my Case and Wallace thoughts again. As I said on that Home and Away podcast coming out tomorrow with Keandre, I was on the stream I think I've said my piece about him, but before we move on to a few of the other topics we're going to talk about, your impressions about Case and Wallace from the Champions Classic and what he's been able to do for Kentucky up to this point, not including the Gonzaga game, which we, we are recording this before, yep. the, the Sunday night games, but everything else prior, what have you really liked about Case and Wallace? I'm not going to add anything that anyone probably hasn't already heard if they're listening to breakdowns from that game. 
just reminds everyone so much of Drew Holiday. Has the sticky hands, very instinctually sound on the defensive end. And I like the I like the promise that he shows as a three-point shooter. How much of a uh, Kentucky benefit of the doubt are we going to give him as a primary creator? I don't know. Uh, there was a lot of times where he did defer to passing instead of being as aggressive as we all wanted him to be on the offensive end. But whenever he was feeling confident in his ability to insert himself scoring the basketball, he looked good doing it, man. And I think, you know, as a rebounder, he's very strong, very quick. This is, again, very Drew Holiday-like, and I'm looking forward to seeing how he does up against this Gonzaga matchup that we got later on tonight. All right, so it's time to move a little bit off the board. This is this is draft deeper at its finest. We we will talk about a lot of the headlines from week to week, but there will obviously be moments where we talk about some guys in the second round. We talk about some yeah. guys who maybe they're not even in the second round of some draft boards. Like we we like to go off pace a little bit and and kind of touch on some names that maybe you're not always hearing talked about on one of these bigger NBA draft or, or NBA related podcasts. So. Let's do that here. We will start with somebody who I think is in that second round conversation. If he's not in the first round conversation for you right now, boy, buckle up, flip on that Texas Gonzaga game. Sheesh. Yep. Watch Tyrese Hunter go to work. This guy, Steven, holy smokes. I title it in my column, Tyrese Hunter back in first round conversation with a nice little question mark there. I don't think it's a question mark. I think he's absolutely back in the first round conversation. He shredded Gonzaga's perimeter defense. He had one of the hottest shooting performances I've seen from a prospect in recent memory in that game. He was just he was just damn impressive the, the whole time, man. There's really no other way to put it. He put up 26 points, 9 of 14 from the floor, 5 of 8 from three-point range. <laughs> it Steven, it's the questions we had about yep. Tyrese Hunter coming into that game, it's almost going. like yep. it's almost like he answered them in one game. And it's I will tell this story again for the audience. I think they've heard me talk about this before when it relates to Tyrese Hunter. But Corey and I saw him in Brooklyn last year, one of his first games at Iowa State. I walked away from that game. I'm like, dude, he looks <laughs> like Donovan Mitchell on the court. And when I say he looks like Donovan Mitchell on the court, I mean, they quite literally share similar stature, similar body type, similar composition, the way they approach the game. They, they like to be score first guards, but if you put them in the pick and roll, they can dish that ball out. They can find guys in the open court. They are up and down players. They are vertical threats at the basket for, for, for being a small guard, man. Can they throw it down with authority when they get there for all the things I looked at with Donovan Mitchell's game at Louisville, there really weren't too many things that I looked at to where I had legitimate questions. And I found myself more so questioning why would he fail at the NBA level as opposed to why would he succeed? And it, it's mm -hmm. really great when you get to look at a prospect through that lens. Cause that's, that's really when you know, okay, we got a guy, he's got to be higher up my board. We have to make sure that, that we're putting out all the right things about him because people need to know that he's a legitimate prospect. And now I'm flipping to Tyrese Hunter. I'm watching that game where, Steven, it wasn't just about the hot shooting. He no. was taking and making NBA-level shots, right? Yep. Like, these are the looks that he's going to be able to get in the NBA if his outside shooting keeps up to the level that, that we actually think by what it looks like, by how it's mechanically structured. We think it can remain at a similar level, and if it does, 
He's going to pull defenders out. He's going to be able to get by guys because he is really quick. He's going to mm-hmm. step into those one-two dribble pull-ups just inside the arc. And if yep. he's knocking those shots down or maybe even bring over another help defender when he gets to that next level of defense, he can accelerate by that guy and he can get to the basket. He's just going to start setting up so many more efficient looks for himself to where this guy can be a real scoring dynamo at that guard spot. And then you throw in the playmaking and then you throw in the already spectacular point of attack defense that yep. hasn't gone away. His <laughs> no. goal for a guard. Holy smoke, Steven, this guy has quite <laughs> the package that he can work with. Oh, has he turned it around from the 39% shooter from the floor, the 47 and a half true shooting percentage. Now he's at 59% through three games. Now he's at 40% from three to three games. 91%. Steven, a 60-40-90. Oh my goodness, yes. Already at this point in the year, what can he do? Much better true shooting percentage. I'm sorry. I had, I had to yell. I had to Do you need a minute to yourself? This was a therapy session for me. I just I had to get all this out because Tyrese Hunter, sometimes these prospects get written off a little too early on. And I got to come out and come to their defense and say, you know what? Sometimes it just takes time for these guys. So mm-hmm. we ask questions. We may have a few overreactions on this podcast, but eventually we're going to whip it around and we're going to look at much more of a larger sample size. And now that we start to hopefully evaluate Tyrese Hunter through a different lens this year as compared to last year, he gets in not only first-round conversations, but dare I say, I know this man know keeps going. it going, can he break into the lottery like I once thought he had the potential of doing? Steven, just go go ahead. I already left it all on the table. I gave everything I got. I, I don't even know how I'm going to go on for the rest of the podcast. I gave it all yeah. I had in that soliloquy. What are your thoughts on Tyrese Hunter? Well, how fitting that you give everything that you had when discussing a player who gives everything that he has yep. every time he steps out on the court. Nathan, I had him as a tail-end first-round guy before I was with no ceilings last year without a jump shot with high turnover numbers, without any talent around him. Because, Nathan, we talk about, like, why on earth would an NBA team draft an undersized player like a small guard in a Giants league? Like, what separates those guards from being drafted to where they're not? They have to be elite-level athletes. Yep. And that's what we see. We we see that with Tyree Center, blazing speed. The first thing I have in my notes, very pesky defender. And coming off of a five of eight shooting from deep from a player that we didn't see that level of shooting at all last year, it's a weird thing to have number one overall. But if he can be a pesky point of attack defender, if he can be an extremely high level athlete, oh, by the way, can shoot. Oh, by the way, can up fake, get around you and hit a mid-range shot. Oh, by the way, can pass the ball. And oh, by the way, can defend ones and twos already at the college level like this guy has improved so much in the early going Nathan I'm I'm right there with you I'm not going to try to match your level of energy because I I just thought that the way you saw that was incredible but looking at this game man like here's here's my notes quick and passing lanes aggressives on drives and rebounding shifty with ball and pull up solid screen navigation three ball looks real Really isn't a table setter, a lead, but looks competent as kind of like a secondary guy. And most NBA teams have what I like to refer to as jumbo playmakers. So if you can add a smaller, good defender 
floor spacer who as a weak side creator can help you out like that's a check um what else do we got here gets in the mix on the on the interior on defense like help down on post-ups like would rotate down to the block to make guys like super uncomfortable yeah and and when he's making their life hell on the block or when he gets switched around the basket then he's also grabbing that defensive rebound by the way he has a 17 percent defensive rebounding percentage which yeah that might that number might not like blow you away but for a six foot guard who's listed at 178 pounds and he's getting real defensive rebounds not just you know getting the long miss by the free throw line yeah that should stand out to evaluate and has the recovery speed too, to where when the ball is kicked out, he may not like jump out there and steal it or block it, but he's contesting the shot really closely. Um, he did hold the ball a lot, but it was it wasn't a detriment to the team. He had a career high in scoring on that night, so yeah, obviously we're gonna get excited. He, he did hurt his ankle a little bit, which was kind he of did. concerning, and he was held out for the rest of the game. We got to look and see how he looks at following in his following matchup, but overall, Nathan. Just every sort of question that we had about his game, it's like he came out and answered them all against Gonzaga, who we all thought was going to have high-level defending guard and perimeter defenders. Doesn't look to be the case, man. Gonzaga looks in trouble, but ultimately it was Hunter's night, and I'm glad that he played the way that he did. He just made all of our all of our boards even more difficult to adjust. It was great. If, if his shooting percentages progress closer to the mean, but they end up, let's say – Let's go like 44, 45% from the field, like 36%, 35% from three-point range, 80, 75 to 80 from the line on good scoring numbers. It keeps the rebounding up. It keeps the playmaking up. He keeps cutting down on the turnovers, which he's done the last few games. It's going to be really hard to leave him out of the first round. Like I'm not, I, 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 I say words like lottery. No, he's not in my lottery right now. Like, no, he's not that high on my board. Like calm down, but you're not ruling it out. I'm just posing the questions of why can't something like that happen? And people might think that's crazy for a guard of his stature, but I promise watch the film, look at the tape, go back and look at some of his better games last year, that NCAA tournament game where he also went bonkers from three point range. Now now you're talking sure the, the calendar year, but in terms of games, like a few games later and he's having one of those performances again, are we starting to look at something that? might be closer to the new norm than not. We we don't have the answer for that question yet. It's only been three games, but Texas man, you have you have Tyrese Hunter in the backcourt who's taken on a, a pretty lion share usage percentage. You have Marcus yep. Carr. You have if Arterio Morris ends up turning it around, you already have the interesting front court pieces, Dylan Mitchell, who we're going to talk about, Dylan DeSue, I think some people like Timmy Allen. This Texas team is real. They are going yep. to threat in the big 12 they can score with anybody and it looks like Tyrese Hunter is going to be the head of that snake and and their offense really isn't even that sophisticated either Nathan like he's able to pop off in a lot of like two three pass motion offense when he gets to the NBA and he can get out in space with a lot of pick and roll and a lot of you know other side of the court actions happening for him, he could be even more dangerous in the NBA. He had more pick-and-roll play last year at Iowa State. I think he actually did a pretty good job passing out of it. The scoring was always a question mark yep. at any level on the court, but passing out of those pick-and-rolls, I think he actually did pretty well. It's just we wanted to see him just make shots from all of those different levels. We wanted to see the turnovers come down, and if both of those things happen, 
are we looking at a first round prospect? I think the answer is yes. I think you would say the answer is yes. As to this point, whether he gets there on the next edition of our boards, we'll see how the other chips fall, but he's got to be in the conversation. I think he's making it difficult. We're trying to talk about. Yep. Yeah, exactly. So another guy who's making it difficult, we'll, we'll move into the, the last player that, that I really want to talk about before Steven sure. just takes over draft deeper and then <laughs> goes his direction with where he wants to go. As far as conversation, Terrence Shannon Jr. Terrence Shannon Jr. has had one hell of a hot start yes. to the year. This guy put up 30 points on Monmouth. He put up 29 points the other night. Um, he's been Illinois' best offensive player. And there's a number of other guys who we could point to on that roster who we thought could take up that mantle. Matt Myers still there. Um, Coleman Hawkins, Matt, one of Maxwell's guys, is there. Dane Danger is Danger. It's he is dangerous. Get on right? the flow. Like that, DMX. Let's that go. man, that man's averaging a double double in, in under 20 minutes per game. Like what, what the hell is happening there? They have a number of fun guards, like, like guards, like Jay Neps, um, Scott sincere. Clark. Yeah. Sincere is, is a freshman who we will, we will, I'm sure talk about later on in the year as some of these freshmen who are they starting to pop into the RJ Melendez. Yeah. RJ Melendez, who I know Corey's a big fan of. They, they have plenty of guys to generate offense. Never in my wildest dreams that I think Terrence Shannon Jr. was going to be one of their highest usage scorers, playmakers, shooters across the board. And boy, has he done it in spectacular fashion. And it's not, Steven, it's not that he's doing it in a takeover way to where we're looking at him as, oh, is he like a second option on an NBA team? No, no. But, 24 points per game before today's game. We'll, we'll go over yeah. today's game in a second because that was technically a, a down point this year and in what some of his worst performances could look like. Still but very effective, yeah. Still effective on both sides of the ball, particularly on defense. Right now, averaging 24 points per game, 57% from the field, 54% from three, 74% from the line. That is quite the slash line for yep. Terrence Shannon Jr. <laughs> and he's doing it. We, we knew about the explosiveness. We knew about the leaping ability, the line drive capability. But he's hitting his perimeter shots. He's getting to the line, knocking down his free throws. He is a much more active live dribble passer than what we've seen even last year. I think he took over a lot of those like backup point guard duties for Texas Tech. He's doing yep. even more of that in abundance for Illinois. Just the way that he's doing what he's doing in this really easy, I'm going to catch the ball, I know exactly what I'm doing with it in a very similar way to some of the other players that we've already talked about on this podcast. His efficiency, he, he right now, Stephen, he's closer to 30 for me than he would be to 60. And that's not something that any of us were saying before the preseason, right? Like, I started off the year, I had him outside like a preseason top 60. I, okay. I really didn't know that the change of scenery was going to make that much of a difference for Terrence Shannon Jr., but just some of what he's been able to show in these games. And, oh, by the way, that 29-point outburst against UCLA, where I'm watching UCLA right now as we're recording this podcast against Baylor. They're only down one point to Baylor. This is a damn good basketball team in the Pac-12 who's going to be a problem all year long. But this Mm -hmm. Illinois team is deep, and they're not only deep, they look like they have a captain in this guy who is re-entering draft conversations at the right time. What have you loved about what you've seen from Terrence Shannon Jr.? Well, coming into the year, Nathan, I came in, I've had him before we solidify things, you know, I've had him 
at the highest 43 on my board at the lowest. I think I had him like 47 somewhere in there. So he never went out of the top 60 for me, largely in part of, because I know that some of these upperclassmen are going to hang around. Right. And maybe with a change of scenery, him transferring to Illinois, like I thought that maybe that would be a better look for him. And in my wildest dreams, I never expect to see what I'm looking at now. Like even my best, um, projection of him at 43 is probably going to be a little too low if all things continue the way that they are right now and I mean if you look at he's been in double digits in all of his games shooting right or scoring right now the shot looks loads better whether it's off the bounce or off the count or the catch like that's really what is going to make or break him as an NBA level the confidence is the biggest thing for him yep Absolutely. You know, he's a shifty driver, although he is a little strong side dominant whenever he does drive and finish. He is a little bit more creative, though, like even though he only gets to the to the hoop really on one side, he can finish and contort in a lot of different ways. So that kind of counteracts whatever negativity that you think might come with that. Now, whether or not that translates well to the NBA, we'll never know. But as long as he's got that shot and as long as he's like a, a capable one through three defender, at the NBA level, like that's going to help him out a lot. You know, he still forces things a little bit on the live dribble passing. I think that's him trying to experiment more as like a lead shot creator uh, for himself and for others. He's got some float games, some pull-up improvement. I just, I think that he's loads better than what anybody thought that he would be coming into the year. And Nathan, I'm working on a draft model. Like I've tweeted it out, you know, based on I'm doing a lot of historical research. I'm trying to get better at the analytical side of this thing too. Recent draft model query that I ran on Bartorvik, he's matching what a lot of guys that were drafted at multiple positions. I'm talking guards, forwards, and wings, like all three levels of those classifications. He's met the mark on a lot of my models for all of those different positions. So the fact that he's doing it the way that he is now, and that translates to versatility, that's huge for his draft stock. It is. And that, that versatility, it, it, it all comes back to, he's just seeing the game much better. The, the, I, I don't know how many more times we could hammer home in this podcast, the quick decision-making it's yes. Draymond Green said it with number of NBA players who both uh, present and past have said it. There's like one to two guys on the floor in the NBA who get to do like whatever they want, right? Like they are the main creators for their team. Every other person has to fit around what they're doing. And that Mm -hmm. means when I get the ball, am I just going to be like a deer in headlights and not know what to do with it? Or am I going to be able to translate my game to what everybody else is doing around me and bring it up to a speed that fits that 24 second shot clock in the NBA? The answer to that question for Terrence Shannon Jr. right now is yes, we'll see if some of the shooting carries over. Is his game perfect? No, you touched on a few things that I would like to see improvements on. I don't know if we'll ever see those improvements, but can, can we get him going to his right <laughs> uh, uh, every now and then? Can we get him to change speeds off the dribble every now and then? Can he cut down on some of his turnovers, some of his creativity that you alluded to? Um I don't know if we'll get the answers to those questions, but at the end of the day, we're talking about a role player. We're talking about a guy who we're probably looking yeah. at in the second round. And if this is the type of guy you can get with a second round pick boy, talk about value, right? Just what he's doing quickly off the catch. I, I like how actually Illinois has been using him in the screen game a little bit, right? They've been using yeah. him as a screener and then he's popping off those screens. He's catching and then he's shooting with confidence. He's getting those looks to go. 
there's just a number of different ways that you can use wings like him in a basketball game. And he, he just feels like he's embraced all of it and he just wants to help his team win. And so that's the side I'd love to see from Terrence Shannon Jr. And that's why he's climbing up my board. And I think he's starting to answer some of the skepticism everybody else has on him. And he's starting to climb up their boards too. So yep. we've talked about a number of guys who I wanted to discuss on this show. I've, I've used up a lot of my voice. It's time for Steven <laughs> to take over. He he's, he's familiar to doing the draft deeper takeover here. He has a number of guys who he wanted to talk about this week. And I will, I will give him the, the vast majority of the floor to let him share about some of these players. But Steven, you wanted to talk about a weekend warrior and you also got some sleepers that you want to hit on. Yeah. So the weekend warrior who the column dropped on him yesterday, by the time everyone is listening to this on Sunday, that's usually when my column drops is on Sundays. It features Josiah Jordan James. Now, this is a guy, Nathan, who last year, there were a lot of people, a lot of credible minds in the basketball community that thought that he was a draft guy last season. Now, he actually declared, but due to him receiving a surgery on his knee and the fact that he wasn't like a surefire first-round guy, he decided to come back. He maintained his eligibility, which I remain a huge fan of that decision for all college athletes. Like, go figure out what NBA teams think about you come back and work on your crap and get better. Like there's no harm in coming back and, and getting better, which is why we're talking about guys like Terrence Shannon Jr., Jalen Wilson, guys like that this early in the year is because they did that same thing. Yep. Josiah Jordan James has come back, Nathan, and he has looked every bit of the prospect that a lot of NBA teams want to see. You know, he's long been a very versatile defender. You know, he's been very strong on that end, but He's also been an improved three-point shooter. I'm talking like in the 40s, Nathan. And if you can defend multiple positions, two through fours in the NBA, you can spread the floor. He used to be like a primary creator coming into Tennessee out of South Carolina. He was looked at as potentially one of these next installations at a, as a jumbo creator, a guy who can do a little bit of stuff off the bounce. That really wasn't in the cards, but what that did for him, Nathan, is as a connector, he can see the floor a lot better. So when these guys come into the NBA and they have guard background, they have high field. You look at guys like Grant Williams, PJ Washington. I think that Josiah Jordan James can kind of fit that similar mold where he's a good defender. He can space the floor. He can make the right reads. He rebounds. He does. He has screen assist, which I outlined in this article too. You, like, you did, you did a great job of pointing out in your piece, all of the fun little ways that Josiah Jordan mm -hmm. James is being used by Tennessee, which are, all of those same ways NBA teams can use him in sort of this, this gadget fun role that they might look to, to use him in. Exactly. And that's what all I really wanted to do highlighting him coming into the year, because I think again, Nathan shiny new toy effect, we fall in love with all these freshmen and Nathan too. I'd like to get your thoughts on this as deep as this class looks like we're going to have some really talented guys make an executive decision and say, no, nah, I'm going to try my hand next year and probably improve my draft stock even more because this, this class looks really deep, especially young. I wouldn't be surprised if there were a number of freshmen that come back for another year, sophomore, junior, what have you. And then we see a guy like Josiah Jordan James end up like middle of the second round and actually do better in the NBA than in college because of the level of talent around him. And it highlights the things that he's effective at as a connector. It happens every year. We, we get underclassmen that decide to come back to school. And in reality, 
it's not that Steven wants to have a player like Josiah Jordan James, like crashing up through his top 60 and ending up at some crazy high position on his board. Right. I think what Steven's doing, which is really smart is he's highlighting these upperclassmen who, when these guys do make their decisions to go back to school, we have to look deeper down our boards and we have to fill in those slots in our top 60 about who is this next crop of guys that, that we would really want to potentially spend draft capital on Josiah Jordan James, this, this six foot six big guard who is incredibly yeah. efficient, by the way, up to this point in the year, 30.6 PER, 74.9 true shooting percentage and an 18 yep. box plus minus. Holy crap, Steven, like that, those are big time numbers for somebody who was once upon a time viewed as just a potential role player. He's taking on a, a pretty important plate um, for this Tennessee squad. And he's really done it. He's done an exceptional job with it. No, they might not be this, this awe-inspiring team across the country, but they are a good team. They're going to do yeah. some damage in the SEC. They're going to possibly make some noise in the NCAA tournament. And it's not going to be because of Julian Phillips. It's not going to be because of Santiago Vescovi. It's not going to yep. be because of some of these other names that we can throw out there. It's going to be a combination of all of those guys and who's going to be the glue that brings all of those pieces together. It's going to be Josiah Jordan James for all the reasons you outline your piece. Yeah, and again, the the huge jump in three-point shooting is something to be admired. And there's been a number of you know people that I respect that will highlight her synergy last year he was a good th three-point shooter in the corner, just couldn't do anything at the top of the key. This year, he's able to get those three-point shots in transition, off the dribble, and off the catch, all around the arc, which helps him a lot in his stock. Again, Nathan, like very smart guy. I'm looking at him as potentially a second-round prospect right now. I just think that he's worth noting this early in the year. Whenever yep. we're looking at everybody else, he's the type of guy that you have to keep in the back of your mind because he is going to be an effective player for an NBA team. And so, Nathan, moving forward, I have a couple of guys that I sent you. I didn't send you all the guys in my weekend warrior column that I just look at as sleepers, right? Like, I'm not saying that they're going to be drafted guys this year. I'm not necessarily ruling it out either. I just think that they all have a particular skill that they bring to the table. Run, run that, through your sleepers, and then I got one at the end before we wrap up. Yep, for sure. All right, so first one is probably the most popular sleeper in the draft community right now, that being Taylor Hendricks, the freshman forward out of UCF. He's about 6'9", 210. And right now, Nathan, like, he he was a top 50 prospect in RSCI. He was a top 60 guy by ESPN. But if you look at this guy, he's showing, you know, at his size that he can hit three-point shots, that he is a credible lob threat. And he does some very fun things defensively as well, albeit he's not – that good again he's a freshman he'll get better but i i included a couple clips for all of these guys in the article he's just a fun guy and i do see a little bit of Jaden mcdaniels in his game he's not as strong but i think that he does kind of fit that same type of mold very tall capable three and d forward who can guard a number of spots have you got the chance to watch any of his game taylor hendricks was a guy who i actually noted during the preseason process. This is why we build out these very deep databases with all of these freshman guys or the, these, yep. these physical profiles that intrigue us because we never know who's going to pop. I haven't seen as much of him at UCF as you have, Steven, but like I said, I noted him as a preseason guy to watch. Mm -hmm. I don't know if he's a this year guy, but the early returns from UCF's games are 
yeah, Taylor Hendricks could be somebody that NBA teams really take a long look at. And if he keeps producing in this way, UCF is going to have some games in the American where, where they can prove yep. themselves, right? Like they they play a tough, feisty team like my Temple Owls. They'll go up against Memphis. They they have to play Houston at, at some yep. point in the year. So they have opportunities where Taylor Hendricks, if he's a real prospect, he will be able to show it on, on big enough stages. So I, I do love that first name as somebody that, that, that our audience needs to look out for. Yeah, and then the second guy that I'll throw out here is a guy that we got to see, you know, today play, and that's Caden Shedrick out of uh, Virginia. He's a redshirted junior big man. He's about 6'11", 230 pounds, plays really funky. You know, he is a, like a very you, good You got to sell player. me on this one, Stephen. I'm not seeing it with Shedrick yet, but you, you, you look, sell me this pen, man, as Corey would say. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll do my very best, uh, Corey and Albert here, but um, look, there's a role in the NBA for rim protecting and lob threats out of the big man spot. A guy who moves very well. I trust him in open space against, you know, other threes. I won't say like NBA level guard yet, but he moves his, his feet very well. He has very smart hands, good ball tracking ability. Doesn't necessarily have to put a body on someone to defend them very well vertically. Rebounds, runs the floor incredibly well. So he'll match a scheme to where if they want to get up and down the court, you can put him in. I'm just looking at him right now, Nathan. I'm not saying that he's a draftable guy right now, although he's only he's a junior. He's got another year of eligibility. I he's just been one of him. Virginia's best players so far on a team that has won, won both of these games this weekend and is going to be a top 10 team this year, it looks like, in the country. So, yeah, it's worth mentioning. And he's made his impact on all of those games. His fingerprints have been all over. Yep. Particularly defensively. Games. Yep especially defensively offensively he's got a little bit to work on but his free throw percentage is something that i'm looking at i'm like he's got some touch from some range he's just not really getting an opportunity to show it maybe he does throughout the season but it's just been an encouraging guy to watch um next one i'll move on to nathan is uh taviante jackson a freshman guard out of colorado state He's only 6'2", a buck 65, so that's not really going to get everybody's creative juices going. Tell me about him, because I, I hadn't even heard of this guy before you mentioned him in our group chat, and I'm like, whoa, Steven's really pulling this one. He's pulling a Maxwell in our group chat, so tell me about him. Well, I actually shout out Maxwell and Evan Wheeler, both of our colleagues from No Ceilings, who I wouldn't be surprised if Evan has actually like put out something on this guy yet because <laughs> he's from around his neck of the woods, but I mean – he plays bigger than 6'2". I thought he was a little bigger, but he's a guy that kind of came up on some query um, searches that I did um, in between games and things like that. But on only six attempts, watching him shoot the ball, he's shooting 50% from deep. And if you kind of see that regress a little bit, which I would expect, as a freshman guard, I would expect to see that you know come up even to the high 30s, though, which is still really good. He's a good athlete. He competes on the glass and moves very well with the ball. And he moves the ball pretty decent, too. As an undersized freshman guard, he's got to improve his defense. But there's a little bit um, to his game that I think he could be, like, potentially a transfer candidate, a name that you can expect to hear somewhere down the line, but a guy that's worth watching right now. Certainly. I, I think he's going to be an interesting name to, to fold away, and I can't, I can't wait to really track some of these other sleepers. I think you have, you have one more who you wanted to I got mention one out of out of sleep, Sleeper City coming out of Pepperdine, yep. right? Boy, the talk about a sleeper factory. Yeah, and I mean, he's just a name that you should know anyway because his family has a lot of NBA <laughs> connections right now already. 
But Javon Carter out of Pepperdine, 6'11", 220, freshman forward. Javon Porter. Listen, he's related to Michael Porter Jr. So the three-point shot looks like his, like his namesake would suggest, like a very capable three-point shooter. There's not really much else to really talk about, but he's averaging a block per game right now as of as of the time that I wrote the article. Um, moves pretty well. I think that, you know, the rebounding is there, the, the shooting is there. Over time, I would expect this to be a guy that starts really making NBA-level conversations and leaps, things like that. But watching Pepperdine, like it's hard for him not to pop along with these other guys like Maxwell Lewis and Houston Millette, guys that we've highlighted extensively at No Singles and will continue to. Uh, Javon Carter was just a name that I thought that people should be aware of because Porter. of his family bloodline. You keep saying or, Javon Carter. He does not do play I do for that? the Milwaukee Bucks yet, Stephen. Dad gummit. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, Javon Porter. Um, shout out to Javon Carter, you know, Crest, <laughs> Virginia. But, yes, Javon Porter is a guy that we should uh, be looking at further on down the line as a draft prospect. He's just fun to watch this year. Has had one really big game so far. Maybe there's more to come. Where does Javon Carter play in basketball right now? Is it for the Bucks? It is for the Okay, I, I thought it was for the Milwaukee, Bucks. He's yeah. been a little bit of a journeyman since he came into the game. NBA. He had a huge game for them. Like, had real big post-game celebration interview. Has had a couple big games so far. Shout out to, to Press Virginia making his name a little bit more of a known commodity in the NBA. Yeah, I still I still remember evaluating Javon Carter for his draft. My my old boss absolutely loved him. It was like, yeah, this is a guy you need to look at taking in the first round of the draft because he may not be, you know, a, a starter for all of his years in the league, but he's going to be in the league for a long time. And look, he's he's been a journeyman, but everywhere he goes, he he seems to to fill it up. So maybe Javon Porter is That's another guy when it when when he gets <laughs> into the league, somebody who can certainly make a team very happy with his contributions as a plus size shooter. So yeah, my sleeper, the last guy who we will quickly end this podcast on. I do not want anyone out there to forget the Oregon state propaganda that I've been trying to peddle <laughs> before this season. Jordan Pope. Remember mm. that name, Jordan Pope, Oregon state six foot two guard. No, he's not the biggest guy on the floor. No, he doesn't have the best stature, but what he does have is, this guy is a scoring machine. He's already averaging 15 and a half points per game for that team on 49% from the floor, 40% from three-point range, 77% from the line. This guy is getting it done. 19 points, 14 points, 15 points, 14 points. He's rebounding the ball for a guard. He's assisting the ball well for a guard at seven assists in their third game against Bushnell. Um, this guy, he has an The reason why I want to shout him out, Stephen, is because he has an opportunity. A lot of these guys do. Uh, yeah. Michael on the Michael Rattage on the team as well. A few other Jaden Stevens, a few other freshmen who hopefully get some playing time. I think they have a really fun freshman class. They're playing Duke on Turkey Day, Thanksgiving yeah. afternoon, three Eastern time. Duke against Oregon State. Jordan Pope. Hopefully, because I mentioned him, he has a good game. Usually, when I do that, these guys don't have great <laughs> games when I shout them out, but. Hopefully Jordan Pope bucks the trend. Seriously, a really fun scoring guard. I think everybody should get the chance to watch because I do think one day he's going to have a real shot to make it in the NBA as a number of those Oregon State guys will. So keep an eye out for that game. That is the Pope Proctor game. The Pope Proctor. Boy, what a name for that. The Pope Proctor game. Thank you, Stephen. 
Um, that's going to do it for this episode of the Draft Deeper podcast on the No Ceilings NBA feed. Thank you so much, everyone out there, for listening to this episode of the podcast. In case you missed it, like Steven said, the Weekend Warriors out now. Josiah Jordan James is the featured player. He has a bunch of other call-outs in that column. Certainly worth a read if you haven't checked it out already. My morning dunk will be out as well. I'm going to run through prospects that we're going to be looking at upcoming for Feast Week. I touch on all of the storylines and written form that we talked about on this podcast, so make sure you check that out as well. Make sure you're following me on Twitter at Draft Deeper. Make sure you're following Steven on Twitter at Steven G Hoops. And most importantly, follow No Ceilings NBA on Twitter at No Ceilings NBA. Also, follow No Ceilings NBA on Instagram, on TikTok, wherever you're putting out your social media content. You can find us wherever. YouTube, we're putting out YouTube shorts, the whole yep. nine with social media content. And also make sure you're subscribed to NoSillingsNBA.com, our Substack, and subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcast. Steven, it looks like you wanted to make a quick plug at the end. Yeah, I want to plug our guy, Maxwell Baumbach. You know, follow him on Twitter at Boundboards, B-A-U-M-B-O-B-O-A-R-D-S. There we go. That was hard. I don't know why. Um, <laughs> words are hard. Also, it's okay, Steven. Words are hard. Spelling's <laughs> even harder. Um, Maxwell has an incredible piece that I want to plug on the prospect overview. Not going to spoil it and give you the name, but I will say it's a guy that you should be familiar with because he's probably going to get drafted this year. Got a chance to get an interview. That's going to come out on Tuesday too. So you have Sunday, me, Monday, Nate. Tuesday is going to be Maxwell's day. His piece, I can't wait to read, man. I'm, I'm, I'm excited. Like I would be a fan. So make sure you're subscribed to the Substack, NoSealingsNBA.com to stay current on that that's how we do it in no ceilings you start the week quite literally with all of us we we get yeah. you set for the week to come and that's what we do here so thank you all again for the support and for listening to this episode of the podcast subscribe rate review all of those fun stuff we love to see your feedback and your commentary on what we're doing if we can improve in any way let us know leave leave yeah. a fun review but five star though just five star you can say whatever you want as long as you leave the five-star rating. But sincerely, thank you so much for all of your support. Until we meet again on this feed, I hope you all have a wonderful rest of your week. And happy Thanksgiving, y'all.